So we're continuing in this sermon series uh, through Lent on the letters uh, of Lent. These are the uh, scripture passages that many, many churches um, around the world are studying in, in Lent. It's um, mostly sections from, from Paul's letters. So last week we looked at a little section from Romans. And this morning we'll look at seven verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25. This is, this is a wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture that teaches us about Christ's wisdom and his power. And it's an invitation to follow Jesus into living a, a wise life. Um, so let's look at God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I heard a story on, uh, on a news channel about a couple of uh, young men who thought it would be a great idea to rob a local convenience store. Here they are. Can I introduce you to Matthew and Joey? Uh, they, instead of a customary, you know, robber's costume, like perhaps uh, a bag over their heads or stockings or, or something, they decided to take black permanent marker and color one another's face. So when, uh, when the clerk at the store that they had just robbed called the police, it was fairly easy to find these young gentlemen just a couple blocks away because of the description. Doesn't really hide much and it is uh, fairly easy to identify the permanent black marker that was uh, very quickly drawn on each other's faces. Sin is folly. Sin is being a fool. Sometimes, like, uh, like these young men, we, we devise schemes that we think uh, will be wonderful for us, and yet they're, they're so foolish. 
and they get us into all kinds of, of tricky situations. Sin is a lack of wisdom. It's playing the fool. And in this passage, Paul is communicating and holding up the wisdom of God as opposed to the foolishness of the world. The foolishness of the world that thinks, oh, we'll rob a convenience store and we'll get, we'll get money and that will be wonderful. It's, it seems like it's taken right out of the book of Proverbs <laughs> where a father warning his son, do not do these things. They'll only bring trouble. The Apostle Paul is, is inviting us to follow Jesus into a wise life, a, wife, a life of wisdom, a life lived how God created us to live, a life lived not for ourselves, but for him and for his glory. The way that, that Paul shows us this invitation, you know, follow Jesus into wisdom, trust in him, believe in him, live for him, live this wise life, his argument is in three sections here. First, he talks about the foolishness of the world. The foolishness of the world. And then he talks about the wisdom of God. And then he tells us the ultimate wisdom of God, Christ crucified. Christ crucified. This is the one that we preach about. You can move on from that slide, Tony. I'm not going to mention those guys anymore. <laughs> the foolishness of the world. In, in verse 22, Paul talks about the way that Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. He, he contrasts this with the wisdom of God. He begins his whole argument by talking about the message of the cross being foolishness being foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it's power. It's wisdom. And this, this way of thinking that he's calling us to, it certainly is, was not just the Jewish people 2,000 years ago. It's, it's a type of thinking. It's a worldview. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking that makes sense of the world, that's, that's always looking for proofs. Almost like scientific proofs. You know, everything must be proven scientifically or else I won't believe it. And I want to be clear, you know, Christianity is rational. It makes sense. There is evidence for God creating the world. There's evidence for Jesus rising from the dead. But it is and it always will be a step of faith to believe in God. It's, it's faith and reason. And looking for signs is the root of unbelief because it causes you to trust in the signs. If I see a sign, then I'll keep believing, but if I don't, then where's my faith? It's, it's losing, you're not trusting in Jesus anymore you're trusting in these signs. I've known many Christians over the years that went from one sign to the next. You know, one sort of spiritual high to the next. 
And often they were living a double life. Often there wasn't a lot to that. They were like the seed that was thrown on the rocky path. And they never really grew up because they were always looking for that next spiritual high. And then what do you do when you're not feeling that, that buzz? What do you do when it feels like God isn't answering your prayers? Do you keep praying? Do you still believe? Do you still trust? That's, that's the sign of maturity. That when we don't feel like God is there, we keep calling out. We keep pressing in. And we go through that season. Jesus said to doubting Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John 20, 29. So Paul is critiquing this, this idea. You know, Jewish people, people with that sort of scientific mindset, I've got to have proof. He's saying they demand signs. And he says, Greeks, look for wisdom. Well, wisdom is all about living well. You know, what's the best way to live? Even by this time, there was a long Greek philosophical tradition. Um, there was, you know, these discussions in marketplaces that had been going on for hundreds of years. What is the best way to live? What is a city? How, how are we to, um, to act out? How, how, how are we to treat each other? Um, come, you know, my, a lot of you know that my mother's Greek, and so you know, we love that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And Mr. Portokalos, he, he insults his future son-in-law, who's a very waspy guy. He says to him, when my people were writing philosophy, your people were swinging from trees. So there's this long Greek philosophical tradition and philo you know, at the risk of sounding like Gus from the movie, philosophy, it means the love of wisdom. Philo sophos, the love of wisdom. And that, you know, it's searching for the big, it's searching for the big answers, right? Answers to the big questions of life. And yet Paul is saying that Christ's wisdom is even deeper than that. That Christ's wisdom is, is so simple that a child can understand it. And yet it's so deep that we spend our whole life meditating on the crucified Christ. What does it mean that Jesus went up on that cross and sacrificed himself for us? Christ's wisdom is deeper than any human wisdom. And, it, and it's certainly not, not navel-gazing. It's certainly not getting caught up in our own heads or putting ourselves at the center. Jesus taught that when we, when we give ourselves away, when we think of ourselves less, we're actually happier that this is the key to wisdom, is to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. To love your neighbor as yourself. To look for opportunities to share what God has given to you.
Completely the opposite of what we get from the world all the time that's always telling us to, to search out our own identity, to, to grasp on to what we have. When I, was, when I was in college, I would come home for the you know, Christmas break and the summer break, and my parents would always make me work at the Portland Rescue Mission. Uh, my mom was employed there at the time. But I remember countless times in the food line, you know, putting the, putting the food on those, on those guys' trays, um, homeless guys that were living by the Burnside Bridge and coming in. And that really put things in perspective for me because I would fly back to Calvin College and my, you know, private Christian college and I'd feel sorry for myself because I had an old junky car and they all had nice new cars and I had my, you know, old clothes and they had new, and I, it really put things in perspective. God's wisdom is so different than the world's wisdom. And following Jesus is the best way to live today. Yes, of course, we have hope for heaven. We have hope for the life to come when we will see him face to face. But for right now, Christ's philosophy is the best philosophy that there is. To live as Jesus lived, to imitate Christ, brings us joy. It brings us comfort. It brings us peace. The world is always telling us, you know, to go after maybe political power or maybe our own identity. If we just know who we are, then we'll be happy. But it doesn't work. We have to know whose we are. We have to know, just like we sang in, in Christian Hearts and Love United, that we belong to him. That's when we have joy. We hear these messages from the world all the time that, that money will make you happy, that if we just had more, then we'd be happy. And yet, the foolishness of the world is, is that. It's simply foolishness. Augustine wrote 1,600 years ago, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. The world and the quote-unquote wisdom of the world is all about searching and trying to find an identity outside of God. But the wisdom of God is resting in him, being secure in him. Paul tells us more about the wisdom of God. I love verse 18 because it, it doesn't say you know, to the people that got saved 20 or 30 years ago. It doesn't say to the people, people that, that prayed a prayer at a, at, a, at a rally and lived their life the exact same way. What does verse 18 say? It says, to those of us who are being saved. We are being saved. <laughs> and each day, in a way, we are being saved. Saved from a life of meaninglessness. Saved from a life that's only focused on ourselves and how we can be happy. We are being saved from that. We're being rescued like someone lost at sea. 
We're being saved by the lifeboat that is Christ. And we are being saved by whom? By Jesus. Because salvation is found in no other name under heaven. We are being saved by Christ alone. Always Jesus, only Jesus. Jesus and his death for us. What is this wisdom? This wisdom is that we are being saved. And what is, what is the wisdom of God? What is Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God? The word used here for power is dunamis, dynamite, kaboom. Anything that stands in our way between, between us and what God has planned for us. You know, anything that, that the evil one sends our way, anything that life just kind of uh, tries to throw at us, Christ, his power, it's blown out of the water. And being, being saved those of us who are being saved, it's, it's really two steps. It's unlearning the ways of the world. You know, the lies of the evil one, the myths about ourselves uh, that we've picked up along the way, or things that we believe about God that are not true. It's unlearning those things. And it's learning what God says about us. It's learning what God's word is to us. It's learning about Christ, the wisdom and the power of God. There's a song that we sing uh, sometimes here and the lyrics are like this. It says, I am who you say I am. I am who God says I am. Not who anybody else says about me, not who my boss says about me, not who my estranged sibling says about me. I am who God says I am. And then the lyrics continue, I am chosen, I am not forsaken. God has chosen us to be part of his family. He's never going to forsake us, he's never going to leave us. And then it repeats again, I am who you say I am. A friend of mine gave me this, gave me this sheet and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have it available for, uh, for each one of us because it's so powerful. It's a hundred biblical truths about who we are in Christ. Every believer, this is true. And so I just want to read a few of these for you this morning. I've just picked out a couple because this is what it means to live out our identity, to live the wisdom of God, not the foolishness of the world. But this is, this is who we are. This is learning the truth about ourselves. I am God's possession, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. I am God's beloved, Romans 1, 7. I have been chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. I have been given a ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 1, 22. 
I am not condemned. Romans 8, 1 to 2. I am sheltered under his wing. Psalm 91, 4. I have a home in heaven waiting for me. John 14, 1 to 2. I have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 I can find mercy and grace to help. Hebrews 4.16 I can pray always and everywhere. Luke 21.36 I cannot be separated from God's love. Romans 8.35-39 I cannot be taken out of my Father's hand. John 10, 29. All of these truths, they make me want to worship. They fill me with such peace and joy, knowing that for myself and for all of us that are in Christ, all of these things are true about us. And this is the wisdom of God. This is how he wants us to live, with humility, but also with confidence. That knowing that these things are true about us, that we have a home in heaven waiting for us, that we can pray any time, day or night, that we're not condemned by God. The ultimate foolishness, according to the ways of the world, is Christ crucified. Paul says this in verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. My friends, the the methods will change. The way that we get this message out to people, they will change. We've seen huge technological shifts, even in the last year, in the way that we get out this message. But the content of the message doesn't change. The content of the message has been consistent for 2,000 years. We preach Christ crucified. Park Lane Church, we preach Christ crucified. And that will not change until Jesus returns. We preach Christ crucified. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means sin, salvation, and service. Here is Christ crucified. It begins with the understanding that I came to know that God has a problem with me. That God has a problem with me. That I can never live up to his perfection and his holiness. Just as we talked about earlier in the service. And that the result of that is ultimate separation from God. It's it's death and it's hell. And nothing that I can do, no amount of good works can make that up. In myself. No matter how often I come to church, no matter how generous I am, no matter how much I do, good works don't 
work. And God is holy. And yet, he is also merciful and gracious. And so he sent Jesus into the world. That's what Christmas is about, right? God taking on flesh and blood. God sent his son Jesus into the world to save us, to bring salvation. And it it can only be Jesus. There's a lot of conversation now. Aren't all religions just the same? Aren't every spirituality just a pathway to God? That can never be the case. It can only be Jesus because he's completely God and completely man. He's the only substitute. When my my 21-year-old cousin died in an accident, when I was trying to console his mother the next day, she said, I'd do anything. I'd do anything to take his place. I'd give my life for him. It should have been me in that car. And that's a wonderful picture of substitution. But the problem is that my cousin would have lived another 60 or 70 years, but then he would have died. When Jesus takes our place, because he's God and man, it's the perfect substitution. And he takes our place so that we can live forever. Easter's coming up in a few weeks, and Easter means that my two biggest enemies, sin and death, have been defeated once forever. I'm forgiven of my sins and I have no fear of death because Jesus was raised from the dead and everyone who's in him is going to be next. That we have a home in heaven. And when we understand this, when we understand what Christ has saved us from, the great salvation he's given us, we want to live our lives in gratitude. You know, we, we repent And the Holy Spirit converts us. We are being saved. We turn from those things that we've looked to for our ultimate identity. And we turn instead to Jesus. And we repent and the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more and more like Jesus. We are given a new mission in this world to to do good works. Again, not to live up to God's standards or not to make him love us anymore, but we do good works because we're so thankful for what God has done. We are so thankful for Christ crucified. We are so thankful that he's given his life for us. Many people today, many people today call this foolishness that Jesus would have to die. Many say we're not that bad. Many many misunderstand it. But God calls this eternal wisdom. And one day, it will be proven true. We live in humility, we live in gratitude, we live in thankfulness, and we live in love today. And yet we know what the Bible teaches, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Friends, follow Jesus into wisdom today and live for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we could never tell you thank you enough that you sent Jesus so that we could live. Show us what it means to be faithful to you in the way that we live, in the way that we communicate, that we love because you have first loved us. God, help us to identify the lies of the world. The world is always telling us, this is wisdom. This is how you should live. This is what you should go for. When you tell us, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Show us, Lord, how to rest in you, even to be called a fool by the world, but yet to know that we are fools for you. Loving God, give us your spirit to remind us of your word and to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.